Hey, we've been talking about uh, Transformers, uh, the lives of people that were changed by meeting Jesus Christ, and they went on to be ambassadors uh, for Christ and, and bring about change in other people's lives. And um, again, uh, this series isn't a how-to series. It's not a step one, step two, step three, and now you're changed. Uh, this is simply meet Jesus, get changed. That, that is the story that we're saying over and over with the lives of these people that we're presenting to you and their stories. And today I want to tell the story of a man named uh, Paul. We know as Paul. Uh, and I want to tell a little bit about his life. And uh, he was a man who was obsessed with destroying the faith. And he became a man who then became obsessed with Jesus. And I love, I love the name Collision. Uh, that the youth gathering has. It's, it's really about people colliding with Christ. And that's really what happened with Paul or Saul. And uh, he was moving so fast in one direction, there was no way that he could turn around without having a collision with Christ. And it was, it was that kind of encounter that he had with him. And so uh, I just want to read just a little bit. Uh, most of his testimony that I'm going to be sharing with you, you can find in Galatians uh, there's other parts in Acts uh, that you can find it, but uh, Galatians is where I'm kind of pulling kind of the order of his story. But um, I want to read to you just a little bit what he says about his past in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 12 through 17. I want to read it from here and not from the message. Uh, I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who has given me strength that he considered me faithful, appointing me to his service, even though I once was a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent man. I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance and unbelief. How many of us have been there? Ignorance and unbelief. The grace of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly, along with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. But for that very reason, I was shown mercy, so that in me the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his unlimited patience as an example for those who would believe on him and receive eternal life. Now to the King eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. And uh, why am I telling you Paul's story? Because he is an example of God's patience with each of us. Patience uh, for us to be transformed, patience for us to recognize him, for our eyes to open and see him. And, and the reason that we're telling these stories uh, over and over is that, that we might have hope. Because I know there's a lot of us that start despairing sometimes, and we give in to that, that whole fatalism thing of, I don't matter, it, it just nothing will change, I can't change, nothing can be done. And it's not true. It's not true when Christ enters the picture, because when Christ enters the picture, everything can change. So, uh, because uh, in Paul's wor- words, we see this, uh, there's a, he says something about his story of, of once being a violent man uh, into a man of faith with a mission. I, I, want, I want you to see this story, and I also want you to know that, that um, sometimes uh, we say with each of these guys, there's a radical change. Radical change with John. Radical change, change with Peter. There's a radical change with, with uh, Paul. But I want you to know that with Paul, we do see this like, it's like getting a, a brick upside the head encounter with Jesus. But, but there was more than just that one moment that was transforming with Paul. 
And we'll talk a little bit more about that next week. So, here we go. Paul's Jewish name. I'm running into this monitor here all the time. and I'm getting good at it. Um, Paul's Jewish name was given to his parents. Uh, and and his, his original name uh, was Saul. And, uh, of course, he came from a Jewish family. They're from the tribe of Benjamin, which uh, history with Israel, uh, the first king of Israel was a Benjaminite. Benjaminite. That's hard to say. Say that over three times. Benjaminite, Benjaminite, Benjaminite. Uh, he was, uh, Saul was the first king. So, uh, you know, some pride in being a, a, a Hebrew and being from the tribe of Benjamin was there. And, uh, and there's no explanation for why uh, Saul's name is changed to Paul. It just suddenly happens after he is sent out by the church that he belongs to in Antioch. But uh, Saul grew up in a city named Tarsus. It was in a region called uh, Cilicia, which is up in Asia Minor, which is now Turkey. And uh, though he was Jewish, uh, he wasn't born in Israel. He was born outside of Israel. He was born a Roman citizen. Now, that didn't typically happen if you were Jewish, which meant that his father or his grandfather uh, had either earned some sort of favor with the Roman government and they gave Roman citizenship as a gift to the family, or uh, his family was very wealthy, which is probably likely, and that they bought his citizenship. And, uh, and then uh, Paul, Paul was then therefore born as a citizen of Rome. And when he turned uh, from boy to man, around 12 years old in the Jewish culture, his family sent him to Jerusalem to study under one of the greatest Jewish teachers of their day, Gamaliel. And uh, Gamaliel was uh, known outside of uh, biblical sources that we, we have today. He's written in uh, different history books, and so he was quite famous, uh, one of the great teachers in Jewish times. Now, Saul had a really sharp mind. And so uh, he was able to uh, uh, be accepted by this teacher to be his, his master, his uh, mentor. And uh, because of his sharp mind, Paul, uh, or Saul, was actually advancing way beyond any other Jewish kids his age. And as he grew into manhood, he became extremely zealous for the traditions of his people. And uh, around this time... Of course, there was this movement that happened that was centered around Jesus Christ and these Christ followers. And uh, there's no record in scriptures of, of Paul or Saul being an eyewitness of, of Jesus Christ or his crucifixion or his resurrection. But um, this was going on at the same time. Now, as, Paul's, as Saul's confidence was, was growing, his confidence was really built on his heritage of being a Hebrew of Hebrews, of, of his training, of being this Pharisee, which was uh, not only uh, a religious leader, but uh, a political and uh, civil leader because they were like lawyers or, or uh, political leaders in, for their country because it was a, uh, a theistic government. So his uh, personal attention was all to observing the law, uh, which was all uh, in a legalistic sense. Not the heart of it, but the legalist. And, and, and according to uh, a Pharisee and the way he lived, he lived faultless according to that legalistic law. Now, but somewhere along the line, Saul started departing from the teaching of his master, Gamaliel. And he took a different path. Gamaliel encouraged all the Jewish leaders at one time to ignore, told them, ignore the Christ followers and leave them alone. 
Gamaliel counseled that if, if the Christ follower's purpose was of human origin, that it would fail. But if it was from God, then the Jewish leaders would find themselves fighting against God. Now, that was his counsel. A lot of the Sanhedrin, which was the Jewish council, they accepted that and said, okay, we'll just leave the Christians, those Christ followers alone, uh, let them to themselves, and it'll fizzle out someday if it's not from God. But Saul had something else in mind. He didn't want to leave him alone. He was ready to attack. And that's exactly what he did. But this wise man, who was his master, Saul seems to depart from and didn't hold to his wisdom. And he took another path, a path of direct confrontation and violence. And it wasn't long till Saul did find himself fighting against God. Why didn't, why didn't Saul listen to his teacher? I mean, this is one of the wisest scholars of the Jewish people of his time and of his day. Why didn't he listen when others were listening to him? Well, one reason that we can, we can deduce from the scriptures, it's very interesting, it seems that he was getting into some arguments with a, another young man named Stephen in the synagogue that he attended. The synagogue was called the Synagogue of the Freedmen, and it contained uh, guys from the same region that uh, Saul grew up in, from the region of Tarsus up in Asia Minor. And they had all kind of gathered in Jerusalem, and they'd started their own little synagogue, and one of the other men that was attending that synagogue was Stephen. But Stephen had become a Christ follower. And the scriptures say that he was full of God's grace and God's power. And that even though he was, uh, the Jewish men in the synagogue argued against Stephen and his testimony about Jesus being alive, they couldn't stand up against him, against his wisdom or by the spirit that he spoke. And Saul was probably one of these men that was arguing with Stephen and was just confounded by him. And just, you know, really great argument, really great defense. And then, man, he'd get, he get, he get whooped. That's what had happened. And he'd be frustrated. And, and probably the difference between Stephen and Saul at that moment in life is that when Saul spoke, people were amazed, but they were afraid. They feared him. But when Stephen spoke, people were amazed and they loved him. And I think there was something, and again, this is your pastor taking scriptures and, and kind of deducing. It's not what the scriptures say, but I kind of wonder if this guy was getting under Saul's skin and it was really troubling him. Because what we do know for sure is that we first meet Saul in the book of Acts. And as Stephen is being stoned by a group of Pharisees that, that have brought false charges against him, he, he's crying out. And which is very interesting, by the way, that, that they were able to stone him. Usually the Jewish people, they didn't have the right to execute people without permission from the Roman government. You remember what, what they had to do with Jesus. They had to bring him before Pilate to have permission to have him crucified. So to even kill somebody, they had to pr have permission from the Roman government. But they were so furious and so angry that they, they said, forget it. We're just rushing this guy out and we're going to kill him. And what happens is Stephen is being stoned. He cries out to God and he says something very familiar that we heard from the cross. Lord, do not hold them against, do not hold this against them. Remember Jesus said the same thing? He said, Lord, they don't know what they're doing, forgive them. Again, imitating his master, imitating his savior, Jesus. And then as, as Stephen dies, there's one man standing there who's just cold and unmoved and his name is Saul. 
And it says he's standing there giving approval to his death, which kind of indicates that he was kind of part of the arrangement of this stoning, arrangement of this whole ordeal. And scripture says that after that, Saul went on a rampage, rampage to destroy the church, going from house to house. He was seeking out these Christ followers, and he was dragging off men and women and putting them in prison. And in Paul's test- testimony about his past, he admits that Stephen was just the first of others that he put to death when he fought against God. Acts 26.10. Saul continued to breathe out these murderous threats against Christ followers and decided to even pursue those who had fled to other cities. Saul became a man obsessed. Obsessed. Then enter Jesus. Enter Jesus and everything changes. Listen to Paul's account of encountering Christ. In my obsession... I even went to foreign cities to persecute them, these Christ followers. On one of these journeys, I was going to Damascus with the authority and commission of the chief priest. About noon, O king, I was on the road. I saw a light from heaven, brighter than sun, blazing around me and my companions. We all fell to the ground, but I heard a voice saying to me in Aramaic, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? It's hard for you to kick against the goads. And then I asked, who are you, Lord? I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, the Lord replied. Now get up and stand on your feet. I have appeared to you to appoint you as a servant and as a witness of what you have seen of me and what I will show you. I will rescue you from your own people and from the Gentiles. I am sending you to open their eyes and turn them from darkness to light from the power of Satan to the power of God, so that they may receive forgiveness of sin and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Saul was totally blinded by this encounter with Jesus and these flashes of light. And he had to be led into Damascus by hand. And when he walks into the city, he isn't coming as this powerful man on a rampage, ready to hunt down people, showing up with the chief priests, throwing around his authority. Instead, He's weak, he's been frightened, he can't see. He's being led like an old man into the city. He shows up at his host's home that was prearranged, a guy named Judas who lived on Straight Street. I don't know why they decided to throw that detail in, but, but they did. And so he shows up at Judas's house on Straight Street, and uh, he's waiting waiting for directions. And at the same time that he's there at Judas's house, the Lord speaks to a Christ follower in Damascus, a man named Ananias. And he tells him, Ananias, I want you to go to a man named Saul and place his hands on him and restore his sight. Now, Ananias had already heard news of this Christian killer coming to town. And he wasn't about to go see this guy. I, I mean, you could, I can just picture Ananias just going, what are you talking about, Jesus? You know? And, and it's funny when you read the scriptures because he does this kind of, hey, I'm not sure if I want to do this, you know? And then the Lord comes back at him. And, and there's an exclamation point after his name. Ananias! It's kind of like, buddy, I'm serious. You're going. And so Ananias is kind of like, yes, sir, right away, sir, here I go. And, and he goes off. 
and he goes to Judas's house on Straight Street. And the scriptures say that he walks into the house and he places his hands on Saul and he says, Brother Saul. And I just wonder if that moment when he said that word brother, if he just took a big gulp, because that was, that was a statement of faith right there. This, this man who was once killer is now his brother in Christ. But his brother saw the Lord, Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he could see again. He got up, was baptized, and after taking some food, he regained his strength. Saul's eyes were open, and now he can go and open other people's eyes with the gospel. This was his call. But there's some little things that happen before he starts jumping fully into his call. Saul spent several days in Damascus. You know, he had this prearranged meeting with some of the chief priests there that he was going to uh, be arresting these uh, Jewish people, uh, uh, these Christ followers. And so he had no choice but to report to these Jewish officials who were expecting him. And as he told his story to them and to others in the synagogues, all who heard him were just astonished. They were blown away. Here is this guy who is killing Christ followers, destroying the faith, and now he's saying that Jesus is alive and that he's now a follower. They were just totally baffled. And in fact, they were not only baffled, but they became angry. And they began to plot how they could get rid of Saul. So they find out about the plot and they scoot Saul out of the city. Now, according to Paul in Galatians, he says that then he immediately left Damascus and went to Arabia into the desert region for a time and then returned again to Damascus. We don't know how long that was. It's some sort of period of about three years. He says after three years that Saul traveled to Jerusalem to meet the apostles. So, you know, thinking about Saul when he originally came to Damascus, you know, being a good Pharisee, I imagine... You know, again, I'm, I'm not quoting scripture here, but I'm saying this as your pastor. But, but I imagine being a good Pharisee, he came with his scrolls, uh, his, you know, some, some scriptures of his own that he carried along. And that when he got to Damascus and had this encounter, I imagine that there was a moment where he, he just needed to go and just kind of collect his thoughts. I mean, he came to kill and to rest, and instead he was being threatened to be killed. He had to escape for his life. Goes out into the desert regions, and I I can just imagine him opening up Isaiah or some other scroll from the Old Testament, just going, I see Jesus on every every page. How did I miss this before? Why, Why? How? He had to encounter Jesus. He had to meet him for that total turnaround of mind and heart. And he just spent some time with the Lord. And then he went to Jerusalem, met some of the other apostles. In fact, they were kind of scared of him when he showed up in Jerusalem. They weren't sure if the stories were true, that he had really changed. And so a man named Barnabas came alongside Saul and introduced him, said, yes, it's for real. This guy has been transformed. He is a follower of Christ now. But as Paul was there in Jerusalem and he tried to tell his story, he got into more debates with some of the Jewish people that he was trying to convince and say, don't you see it? Don't you see it like I see it? I open up these things and I read it and I see Jesus on every page. 
don't you see it? And they didn't. And so they got angry and they wanted to kill him. <laughs> kind of repeated story in Saul's life. And uh, when the Christ followers learned of this plot, again, they sh- packed him up and they shipped him off back to his hometown in Tarsus in Asia Minor, far away. And uh, it's interesting in Acts, it says, after that, the church enjoyed peace. <laughs> Saul stirred things up wherever he went, whether he was against the Lord or with the Lord. That was just who he was. There was a certain way that God made Saul, and it was just, it wasn't, it wasn't totally erased from him, but again, it's that, that biblical word, it was redeemed, and it was used for God's purposes. So again, when we come to Christ and we're transformed, it's not like we all become cookie-cutter Christians. And God keeps part of that unique part of us, and he redeems it. That's good. That's amazing. So Saul spent an unknown amount of time in Tarsus. And at a certain point, his friend Barnabas, who had introduced him in Jerusalem, had been sent to Antioch. There had been a bunch of people that come to Christ that were not Jews. They were what the Bible called Gentiles. And they had come to the Lord. And so Barnabas went to go and see what was going on there in Antioch. And when he saw the work that needed to be done, he went to Tarsus, found Saul, and said, come here. Help me teach these people more about the Lord and his ways. And it was within this new church in Antioch that Saul began to grow. And it began to transform in a slower way, not that radical light change, amazing upside-down turnaround. But Saul began to fulfill his original calling from the Damascus Road. It wasn't too long after he was meeting with some people from that church and they were praying and they're fasting. And the scriptures say that, that uh, the spirit said, set apart for me, Saul and Barnabas, to go. And so they, they prayed for them and sent them out. And that was the beginning of Saul and Barnabas going to spread the gospel in the cities of Asia Minor and Greece. They returned to their home church to give reports to the people there in Antioch and tell them about what happened in their travels, the people that had come to faith in Jesus, the new communities of believers that were started, these new churches that were established and planted wherever they journeyed. And this is where Saul all of a sudden becomes known as Paul. It's just a little change. There's no story. There's no reason. But all of a sudden, Saul is now called Paul. I don't know why, but I wonder if it's something about him fulfilling that calling. And I wonder if there was something that that happened, again, among those believers that he was with that brought about change in him. His third and final journey ended in his arrest and imprisonment. And for more than three years, he testified in regional courts before leaders and the government, officials of the Gentiles, kings. And this road of testifying eventually led him to Rome in chains, where then he was executed for his faith. I've related to you some of Paul's story, and some of it comes from the letter that he wrote to the Galatians. And it's a hard-hitting letter telling them to hang on to faith. And this is coming from a man who once tried to destroy the faith, but now he's saying, hang on to it and don't ever let go. Paul starts the letter with these words before telling his testimony. He says, I'm astonished that you're so quickly deserting the one who called you by the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. 
Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion and are trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let him be eternally condemned. Whoa. Paul, what's up? What are you so upset about here? Man, he is serious about this. People altering the story of Jesus, altering who he is or what he's about, what he said. He's saying, it's not the gospel at all. He goes on after telling his testimony. He says, you foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Before your very eyes, Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. I would like to learn just one thing from you. Did you receive the Spirit by observing the law or by believing what you heard? Are you so foolish after beginning with the Spirit, are you now trying to attain your goal by human effort? And here's what the man who now preaches the faith he once tried to destroy is saying. He's saying this. Look, guys, I I tried to be good. I tried to be self-righteous. I tried to earn a spot with God by obeying all the rules I could. But that is not the gospel. Paul says, for through the law, I died to the law so that I might live for God. I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. And that's coming from the man who was persecuting Jesus, who was trying to kill his followers and destroy the faith. He says, the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing. See, Paul is saying that his life of trying to be self-righteous and earning a spot with God by being good led him on a hell-bent path. He ended up a violent man who blasphemed Jesus and persecuted and killed the citizens of the kingdom of God. If you're on that kind of path, trying to keep record of all the good you do, hoping that it outweighs the bad in your life, or that somehow you think God will owe you because you played by some set of rules, you're not living by the gospel of Jesus Christ. We don't earn it. Grace is a gift that's unearned, that comes by faith, a trust in the story of Jesus, a trust in him, the person, the life, the death, the resurrection. Listen to these final words of Paul as he was in prison in Rome from a letter of Christ's followers to the church of Philippi. If anyone else thinks he has reasons to put confidence in the flesh, or in other words, pulling yourself up by your bootstraps, I have more. I was circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews. In regard to the law, I was a Pharisee. As for zeal, hey, I was persecuting the church. As for legalistic righteousness, faultless. But whatever was to my profit, I now consider a loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. I consider them rubbish, dung, that I may gain Christ 
and be found in him. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law by being good, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God and is by faith. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. I want to know him. That was, that was his heart cry. I, I want Nate and the guys to come on up here. I want to wrap this up. Guys, this is it. Meet Jesus, get changed. Know Jesus and have life and a righteousness that comes from God, not from yourself. This is the testimony of a man who once destroyed the faith but then became an ambassador of the faith. His life, once built on earning favor with good works, but then he proclaimed the only good work that we can really rely on is the work Jesus Christ did on the cross. Listen to the testimony of Paul, the man who once tried to justify himself by the rules, now contends that we can only be justified by faith in Jesus. Don't trust yourself Trust the Lord. Don't lean on your hard-earned work. Lean on the Lord. Meet Jesus. Be transformed. Believe. We keep on thinking. We, we've been tricked, and our minds keep on thinking, we got to work, we got to earn something, we got to do something. Someone even asked Jesus about this, and he said, what, what do we got to do to do the, what God requires? And so Jesus finally just you know, tired of it, always coming back at him, this question. He says, okay, you want to know the work of God? Here it is. Believe the one he sent. If you want work, there it is. Believe. Believe. Life, the death, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's the story. That's Paul's story. It could be ours. It could be yours. Transformed. Lord Jesus, in the next few moments, we want to meet with you. There's some of us that need you. We know you need, we need you. We admit our spiritual poverty. We recognize your great richness of your grace and your mercy and who you are. Lord, there's other of us, others of us, we don't see it. We don't see that we need you. We don't see our spiritual poverty. And Lord, I just ask, I just ask for a Damascus Road experience for those people who are in that place, still trying to pull themselves up by their spiritual bootstraps, still trying to earn something from you. God, shake it out of us. Shake us until we learn to depend on the cross, to depend on grace, and to be transformed by you. And knowing you. In Jesus' name, amen.